Good morning. It is a joy to gather together with you this morning to worship you, worship with you this morning here at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. If you're new or you're visiting, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church, and we're glad that you're here with us this morning to just enjoy our time in this beautiful weather and just, yeah, hope that moves us to see what a great God we have that would give us days like today. If you are new or you are visiting, um, there's a, a Connect card in the seat back in front of you. We'd invite you to fill that out, drop it in the boxes on the back wall on your way out, just a, a way for us to get to know you. Um, if there's anything you'd like to communicate with us um, or let the church know, you don't have to fill, those, fill that out on the Connect card and drop that in the box on your way out. We're going to start the morning with some time of worship, so I'd invite you to stand as we sing together. Good morning. Start our worship off with some energy this morning, I guess.
seated. Good morning. My name's Ian. I'm one of the pastors here. The, uh, the other pastor, I guess. Um, <clears throat> we're excited that you're here with us this morning. Um, if you are new, it is great that you are here. Um, if you're joining us online, thank you for also being here. If you would like to uh, worship through offering this morning, you can give on the back wall. Um, if you are new, this is a gift that we would like to give for you, so please do not feel any pressure to give. Um, a couple of announcements. Coming up this week, TLEFC Evening of Prayer is May 19th, 6.30 to 8. Um, it's going to be downstairs. It's going to be an evening of prayer for our church, for um, our nation. And so if you would like to um, come to that, please do not hesitate. A um, couple of summer highlights coming up. TLEFC's annual meeting. I know, you guys are excited. Sunday, May 5th. If you'll notice in your bulletin there are the nominees, please take a second to look at those. Um, that will be right after the Sunday service. This year we are also kicking something else new off on May 5th. We are adding Children's Church. This is actually like a reboot. So this is like Children's Church Mark II. I guess it used to be done a long time ago. So we're restarting that. So that will be during the sermon starting um, June 5th, and that will be for ages 4 through 7. Um, so there will be, be more details coming up for that. So this year we have a number of students that are going to camp, um, specifically Honey Rock. And to help them go, we are asking you to help sponsor them. In the back, on, in front of the bulletin board, you will notice a trifold board, and there are envelopes on it with a specific dollar amount. If you would like to help sponsor a kid, you can take one of those envelopes home, put the amount that's on it, and then bring it back either to the church office or put it into the um, offering by May 29th. Um, this will go a long way to helping students go to Honey Rock and enjoy a Christian camp. Also, this summer, super excited, VBS is coming up July 11th through the 14th. Our theme this year is I Wonder. Um, if you are going, I highly encourage you, well, if you are a kindergartner through fifth grader, um, I highly, highly recommend you go to tlefc.org slash VBS and register. There is a cost, $5, just to offset our snacks and smelly things. This is also a great opportunity for you to volunteer, so... If you want to volunteer, come and talk to me or email me. Um, I have a list of positions and some things that need doing. Um, and finally, this week, um, well, this last week, Marky Olakowski passed away. Um, there is a service on Tuesday at 10 o'clock, um, starting with a visitation at 10 o'clock, and then there's a funeral at 11 here, followed by a luncheon. With that, would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship here together as the church, Lord. We thank you for who you are, what you have done for us, and for the, the truth that we get to live, Lord. That you are God, that you are alive, that you desired a relationship with us so much that you went and died on a cross and rose again on the third day. And we thank you for that, Lord. 
We think of Mark Yulikowski's family today. We pray for them. We ask that you would make yourself obvious to them. Put your comforting arms around them. Bring them peace and help them to know that, that Marky is in heaven with you, Lord. And we thank you for that. We ask your blessing on our service. Help us to worship you well. Help us to fellowship well. Help us to um, greet anyone who's new well, Lord. And help us to be re-energized so we can go back out into the community at the end of this service, Lord. As we look at the world around us, we always see so much darkness, Lord. But we know that your light is in this world. And I ask that you would help us to shine that light well. Starting out inside of us, help us to um, deal with the, the sin in our lives. Help us deal with anything that, that gets in the way. Help us to just honor you with our lives. I ask your blessing on the rest of our service. Um, I ask your blessing on Pastor Tim as he brings the word, and we thank you so much for him and for the worship team as they uh, lead us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can, can stand as we continue worshiping. We're going to sing the doxology next, but a little bit different version than some of us grew up with. But just focusing on the words here, I don't know if you were out last night uh, when the sun was setting, but we had this amazing light last night. It was I was in my garden bed cleaning up stuff, and all of a sudden it like felt really peachy all around me, and I'm like, felt like I was just kind of in a I don't know a cloud of color a little bit. It was the sun was setting, and it was gorgeous. And there's a line in here that says, "Praise God with morning's breaking light." But the very next line is, praise him through darkness of the night. Like, we came through winter, we came through darkness, we come through darkness in our dark times, and then that light, that glowing light that's so easy to praise him in. But this song's kind of saying, praise him in all of it. All of it. This morning, join us as we praise this morning.
great. It is you who give us breath. It is your breath in our lungs. Would we remember that? Would we live lives that reflect your greatness, reflect your goodness to us and every breath that you give us? Father, would you be honored in our lives? Would we desire nothing more than to bring you honor and glory and praise. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, off the coast of Nova Scotia in Canada, there's this small, seemingly insignificant little island. It's called Oak Island. There's, there's nothing particularly interesting about it at first blush. It's a mere 140 acres in size. It's one of just 360 similar sized islands dotted throughout Mahone Bay. And yet this small, inconspicuous island has been the subject of more than 50 books. It's also been the subject of a of more recently, a, a nine-season and counting reality TV show on the History Channel. Which, if you're not familiar with Oak Island, may cause you to ask, why? Like, why would this tiny little island be the subject of books and TV shows? Well, in 1799, a young man named Daniel McGinnis was out on Oak Island looking for some farmland, some land he could farm and he noticed as he's out looking at the land a small little depression in the ground. And he sees this depression and it reminds him of these kind of long, told, foggy stories right, that the famed pirate, Captain Kidd, had supposedly buried two million pounds sterling worth of treasure on that island. And so McGinnis, he like recalls this story and he recruits a few of his friends to help him start digging where he finds this depression. And lo and behold, two feet below the surface, McGinnis and his friends find a layer of flagstones. So they keep digging, and ten feet down, they find an oak platform. So they, they keep digging some more, and ten more feet down, they find another oak platform, and then they keep digging some more, and then another ten feet down, so thirty feet down at this point, they find a third oak platform. At that point, out of a sense of what McGinnis called superstitious dread, he gave up digging. Right? It's too far down, he's, he's out. Right? But three years later, a group called the Onslow Company had heard these stories, and they set out for Oak Island with more sophisticated equipment. And they started digging. And they continued to find oak platforms every 10 feet down to 90 feet. But then suddenly at 90 feet their shaft mysteriously flooded with 60 feet of water, kind of unexplainably. And it was kind of hypothesized that this flooding was some kind of clever pirate trap to keep the treasure safe. And since that time, there have been countless efforts to find the treasure on that island, whether it exists or not. Millions and millions of dollars have been spent on equipment and labor like six men have died digging for this treasure. Like 
Franklin, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. His grandfather was heavily invested in one of these companies that set out to dig for this treasure. And Roosevelt himself, at one point, planned to visit the island when he was on a presidential trip to Nova Scotia. But fog prevented him from making the trip. But he still tracked the events on the island the rest of his life. People have been heavily invested in finding this treasure. And all that to say, like it's a testament to how much work, how much effort, how hard people will work to find something of great worth. And today's passage in Luke 15, we see Jesus showing us through a couple of parables how deeply God values each and every one of us. And He values us even though we're sinners who are constantly wandering away from Him. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. There's, there's three parables in Luke chapter 15 that are all about lost things. We're going to look at the first two this morning. And then next week I'll be gone. Ian's going to preach on something else. But then in two weeks I'll come back and I'll finish preaching on the third lost parable, which is the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. But this morning we're looking at the first two, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Let's read these together. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is, a re- there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So before we kind of jump into the, the outline I have for this sermon, let's first just look at a little bit of the context that this sermon is in, right? the setting. So we see this in verses 1 through 3. There we read, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus tells them this parable. And so Jesus is here. He's drawing a crowd of tax collectors and sinners around himself. And they're, they're listening to what Jesus has to say. And these tax collectors, these sinners, they're the outcast of society. They've made some not-so-great life choices often. They're, they're not popular. And the Pharisees... They're incredulous right, that, that Jesus would welcome these people. And not only welcome them, that He would eat with them, that He would fellowship with them. Because in the minds of the Pharisees, to eat with these people was to risk 
Like their sinfulness rubbing off on them and making them dirty and less holy. Right? So they've got to stay away from these sinners and these texts. Like, and they can't believe that Jesus would go and be with them. And so they're complaining, they're muttering that Jesus would have the audacity to eat with sinners. And it's in response to that muttering, that complaining, that Jesus tells these two parables. And what we see in these parables, is that Jesus came to seek and forgive sinners. The primary, the central, the overarching reason that Jesus came was to seek and save sinners. In a couple of chapters in Luke 19, Jesus will say that explicitly. He'll say, speaking of himself, that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's the the primary reason Jesus came to earth. To seek and save and forgive sinners. And in this passage, we see kind of three steps in the process of Jesus seeking and forgiving sinners. The first, he seeks out the sinner. Then he saves the sinner he has sought after. And finally, he rejoices over the sinner that he has saved. He seeks the sinner, he saves the sought, and he rejoices over the saved. So this morning, I'll look at each one of those three things in turn. I'm going to start with the fact that Jesus seeks after sinners. So we see this in both verses 4 and 8. In verse 4, Jesus says, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And then in verse 8, Jesus says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Right. I think it's pretty obvious, but just in case, it's not just to be clear. Like in these parables, right, Jesus is represented by first the, the one going after the sheep, the shepherd, and then the other one by the woman. Right. And the sinners in this parable are represented by the sheep and the coin. Right. So like, What's clear here is that Jesus is the one doing the seeking, doing the searching. Jesus seeks the sinner. There was a, there was a movement a while back among some churches to make their, their services more what was called seeker-sensitive. And so what they meant by that was they wanted to make their services more friendly to those who were seeking answers about God. So they would do things like play more contemporary music. And I don't mean just like contemporary music like Christian songs written in recent years, but like I've been in two different church services. One where they played a a Miley Cyrus song as part of the service. Another one where they played a Mumford and Sons song as part of the service. Like they were trying to be edgy and cool, but that's what they mean by seeker sensitive. Or like they may mean like using more contemporary and less churchy language they may mean like preaching about more contemporary issues and preaching in ways that are more relevant to people outside the church. Right? And all this was done so that people would, who were seeking after God would, as part of their seeking, they would walk through the doors of the church and they would feel welcome. Right? They would find something familiar and therefore they would be more likely to stick around. Right? And look, the heart of that movement was good. They wanted people to come to know and see Jesus. And there are good reasons to be thoughtful about 
the music we sing and the, the words we use and the issues I preach about. But I would just suggest right, that being sensitive to religious seekers should not be our motivation. Because being seeker-sensitive relies on a faulty premise. Right? Namely that it is we who seek God and not the other way around. But we see in these parables is that it's, it's Jesus who seeks after us. Well, we're compared to wandering sheep and inanimate coins. So maybe when you picture sheep, like you picture like the Middle Eastern equivalent of a dog. Right? Like, like cute and loyal and intelligent and like a man's best friend type. But that's not what sheep are like. like when Jesus calls us sheep in this parable, it is, as Tim Keller puts it, a well-intentioned spiritual insult. Sheep are not bright animals. There was an article a while back in a new paper based out of Qatar in the Middle East. And the headline of the article was 400 sheep fall off cliff in Turkey. Like here's, here's just part of that article. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths this week while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 15 meters to their death in a ravine in Van province near Iran. But they broke the fall of another 1,100 animals who later survived. <laughs> so the first 400 fall, and they just, like, the next 1,100 just fall into a pillow of wool. Like, it's probably a nice experience for them. Right? Shepherds neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free. The loss to local farmers was estimated at $74,000. Sheep are not smart animals. There's a reason that in Isaiah 53, Isaiah says, We all, like sheep, have what? We've gone astray. Like we've, each of us has turned to our own way. Or in Matthew 9.36, we're told that Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Left on their own, sheep are prone to wander with no regard for their personal well-being. They are helpless. They wander for the sake of wandering, even if it means wandering off a cliff. And so if we, as, as sheep who have gone astray, are going to come under the protection of a shepherd who will keep us safe from danger, we need the shepherd to come and seek us. We will not seek him on our own. Right? Or if the image of a, a sheep isn't enough for you, like then look at the picture of the coin. Like coins, like it goes without saying, are inanimate objects. Like they're dead, right? They're not living things. And dead objects are really bad at helping their owner find them. Like, I would love it if my keys would crawl out of whatever pocket I left them in, laying on the floor somewhere, and like crawl over to the key hook in our house so I could find them when I needed them. But they don't do that. Right? I have to go dig through 18 different pants pockets to find my dumb keys. Because they just lay there where I left them. I have to be the seeker when I look for my keys. Like, I can't Expect the keys to do the seeking. And you know what else is inanimate? Like dead people. 
And in Ephesians 2, Paul tells us that's what we were because of our sin. Ephesians 2.1, Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And dead people, just like dead coins, don't seek. And so if we are dead sinners, or we're going to be found and saved, like we need Jesus to come and seek and find us. We will not seek Him on our own. In Romans 3, Paul says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. There is no one who seeks God. Who is the seeker-sensitive church for? And look, like I don't want to minimize the experience that some of you may have had. Right, where you can look back on what you went through before you came to faith in Jesus, and you can say, like, I, I went through a period of seeking after God. Maybe right, you're here this morning, you're watching online because that describes you right now. You're, you're seeking answers about who God is. And if that's you, look, again, I don't want to minimize your experience. I'm glad you're here and you're hearing this. But I would just suggest that maybe the fact that you even have these spiritual desires, even the fact that you're even looking for spiritual answers, the fact that you're here is a sign that the, the seeker, Jesus, is already seeking after you. And the fact that you are, you are asking these spiritual questions is a sign that Jesus is already at work in your life. And it is this, this period of seeking that Jesus is using as the means of carrying you home. But of course, Jesus does more than just seek us. He also saves that which He has sought. When Jesus seeks us, He, he finds us, and finding us, He then saves us. We see this in verses 5. Verse 5. When He finds it, talking about the sheep... He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And just notice what the shepherd does and doesn't do when he finds the sheep. When the shepherd finds the sheep, he doesn't, he doesn't berate the sheep and say, like, you foolish sheep, why did you wander off? Now, I'm going to give you one more chance. If you stick right by me as we walk back to the flock, you can have your second chance. He doesn't do that, because he knows that would be a helpless, hopeless proposition. The sheep will just wander off and fall into some other ravine or something. So instead, the shepherd picks the sheep up, and he puts the sheep on his shoulders, and he brings the sheep back to the flock. The sheep does nothing to contribute to its salvation. Jesus is the one who saves the sought. So, so growing up, we had, we had dogs. I remember at one point training one of our dogs. We were like training her like where the boundaries of our property were, property were, where she could and couldn't go. And so day after day we would take our dog and we would walk around the edge of our property to teach her where she was allowed to go. And with enough training that worked fairly well. Like she, would, she would typically stay in our backyard when we let her out. She seemed to understand the rules of where she was allowed and not allowed to go. 
But our backyard and my parents' house growing up, like it, it backed up against cornfields and acres and acres of woodland. And so occasionally our, <clears throat> our dog would, would see a form of wildlife that was, that was worth breaking the rules to chase after. Right? And she would take off running into the fields and the woods. And at first, when she started to do this, we would, we would go out into the fields and the woods and we would call her name, like trying to get her to come home, desperately searching for her. But then at some point in the process, we realized like, we could just shake her box of treats. And if she was anywhere in earshot, like, she would come sprinting back. Right? She would do anything to get that reward. And here's the thing. Most other faith traditions, most other religions, right? they tell you you're a dog. Right? Like You may need a little training, a little guidance early on to learn the rules. To know how to live a good life. You may need... You may need to be reminded every once in a while of the future rewards that await those who are obedient. But ultimately, you're pretty self-sufficient. You're capable of running off through the fields on your own. You're capable of contributing to your own well-being. You're, you're free to make your own life for yourself. As long as it's within, as long as it's within the boundaries you've been given. And in return, you're just expected to show loyalty and devotion to your master. That's, that's basically what every other religion does. right? Here's the rules. You abide by these rules, and if you do, you have a reward waiting for you. But ultimately, it's up to you whether you earn that reward or not. They tell you you're a dog. Like only Christianity tells you you're a sheep. That you are, you're going to wander. You're going to make decisions that are not good for you. And it depends on you and your own... And if it depends on your own effort, your own rule-keeping, you are hopeless. But the great thing about Christianity is that that it says it doesn't depend on you. It depends on the shepherd. And when you wander off, he will seek you and he will find you. When he finds you, he will joyfully put you on his shoulders and he will carry you home. He seeks you and He saves you even though you've done nothing to deserve it or to contribute to your own salvation. And then having done all the work to seek you and to save you, Jesus goes even further and He does the most amazing thing. That He rejoices over you in your salvation. Jesus delights in and rejoices every time a lost sinner that he seeks and saves come to repentance. We see verses 6 and 9. In verse 6, we read, this is the shepherd, then he calls their friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And in verse 9, the woman who finds her coin, when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And in both parables, Jesus concludes the parable by saying, like, there is rejoicing in heaven over every sinner who repents. So in verse 7 he says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. 
Not that those people actually exist. Like everyone needs to repent. You just make that clear throughout the book. But this is like a little shot at the, the Pharisees and their self-righteousness. Like, they're more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 people who don't think they need to repent. Now, the act of finding what was lost prompts rejoicing. So just imagine... If on Oak Island, like those people who are digging for that treasure, they, they one day actually find pirate treasure buried on the island. Like just imagine like, the joy the person who finds it will feel. Partly because like, they'll become exceptionally wealthy and that will be great. But also because like, they've finally completed the task they set out to do. There will be satisfaction in completing the task. Like the, the delight and the rejoicing that those people would feel in finding that treasure is just a, a sliver of the joy and the delight that Jesus feels every time someone repents of their sin and places their trust in Him. He rejoices because He has found something of great worth. He has found treasure. But He also rejoices because, he, because every sinner that repent represents a piece of the great task that Jesus set out to complete. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And so every time a, a sinner repents, that task is being accomplished. So here's my question for you this morning. That's this. This is true. Do you feel rejoiced over like, do you really believe that you are so valuable, you are of such worth to God, that He rejoices over you? And maybe you're sitting here, you're watching, and you say, like, like, you don't understand. I've done terrible things. I don't deserve to be rejoiced over. But look, the sheep that wandered off, for no reason. He just gave the shepherd more work to do. But that, that sheep hardly deserved to be rejoiced over. But the shepherd still rejoiced. And it's true, right? None of us deserve to be rejoiced over. None of us deserve any of this. That's why grace is so amazing. That's why we sang the song. Like, this is amazing grace. And what makes grace amazing is that we don't deserve it at all. Earlier, I referenced Isaiah 53 to, to drive home how, how prone to wander sheep are. And the first part of that says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to its own way. But how does that verse end? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We each turned to our own way. But, and but might be the best word in the Bible. But, the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Despite the fact that we go astray, despite the fact that we turn to our own way, God lays our sins, our iniquities on Jesus and not on us. Not because we deserve it, because of how great worth we are to Him. Similarly, before we read Ephesians 2, which says, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, 
all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and allowing its desires and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Right? Though we all at one time were, were sinners. We were all deserving of God's wrath, Paul says. But he goes on. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of God's wrath. And here's that word again. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Like, we were dead in our sins and we get that. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We were sinners deserving God's wrath. We were dead in our transgressions. But because of His great love for us, God made us alive with Christ. So that in the coming ages, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace to us. Like, is that not staggering? Jesus sought us. Jesus saved us. Jesus rejoices over us, even though we were dead in our sins and deserving of God's Wrath. You might ask, well, how does how does God do this? Does Jesus just like snap his fingers and God's wrath against our sin is gone? And no, right? Like God would not be a just and holy and righteous God if his righteous wrath against sin could be forgotten so easily. Like we are forgiven and we are made alive with Christ because the shepherd became a sheep. And not just any sheep. He became a baby sheep. He became a lamb. And not just any lamb. He became the sacrificial lamb. As John the Baptist says about Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the sacrificial Lamb. He went to the cross. And on the cross, all of God's wrath against our sins, against our wanderings, was poured out on Jesus in our place. So that for all of those, all of us who have placed our trust and faith in Jesus, Jesus takes our punishment. And in exchange, we receive the incomparable riches of God's grace. <clears throat> Not because we deserve it. Not because we in any way earned it. We earned it no more <clears throat> we earned it no more than an inanimate coin earned the right to be found. We get that because of God's great love for us. <clears throat> God desired <clears throat> God desired for His people to be saved. So He sent Jesus to, to seek sinners and to save sinners, and now He rejoices in heaven every time a sinner repents.
the cross. It's the ultimate display of the seeking, gracious love of God. So if you're, you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, I don't know what brought you here. Maybe you're here with family. Maybe you just came in because you're curious about something. Maybe you're watching online. I don't know what prompted you to pull up our video this morning. But as I said earlier, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, then I would humbly suggest that maybe you being here is a sign that Jesus is already at work in your life to seek and to save you. And I would encourage you to take seriously that possibility and to respond to His work by repenting and believing in Him. Trusting that that if you repent, that if you confess your sins, you turn away from your sins, you will be rejoiced over in heaven and you are worth rejoicing over because God says you're worth rejoicing over. If you're here never trusted Jesus, I would invite you, I would encourage you trust in Him. For those of us who are here, who have already been sought, who have already been saved, who have already been rejoiced over by Jesus, there's, there's one more step in the process. One more thing that Jesus does for us after He seeks us and saves us and rejoices over us. I didn't put it in the outline because it's not directly out of this passage. But I think it is important for us to understand if we're going to live the way that Jesus calls us to live. If we're going to be a church that is honoring to Jesus, there's a final step in the process. That final step is this. After Jesus seeks us, and after He saves us, after He rejoices over us, He also commissions us. At the very end of His time on earth, the very last word of Jesus that Luke records in the book of Luke, Jesus says this, Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His, He's talking about Himself though, will be preached in My name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. After Jesus seeks us and saves us, Jesus gives us the task of preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins to all nations. He says to anyone who hears him, who is following him, like you're part of this. Like, you are witnesses to these things. This is your job. It's not for the select few, it's for all who would follow me. It's your job now to partner with Jesus in seeking and finding lost sheep. It's still Jesus who does the work of ultimately bringing them to faith. But we, as followers of Jesus, are are given the privilege of, of telling others of the forgiveness for sin that is available to them in Jesus. That's what I one of like the big values that we have as a church is to reach people with the gospel. We want to be a people who reach people who don't know Jesus and bring them into faith. And you may you may read these words, you may get caught up in all na- with all nations. And you might think like I can't I can't go to the nations. I can't go overseas to preach the gospel. Like I'm I'm too tied up here. 
Maybe some of you, on the other hand, will feel prompted to go overseas as missionaries. But for the rest of us, like the good news is, like you don't have to go overseas to be part of this command. Jesus says to a follower, "Do start in Jerusalem, like their hometown." Maybe you would say, like, I don't even know where I could begin. I don't know where to start with telling people about Jesus. I just, exact, I just suggest that you start where Jesus started. Do you remember, like, from the, the beginning of this passage, like, why the Pharisees were so upset with Jesus? What was the big wrongdoing that Jesus charged, what Jesus was charged with by the Pharisees? The big thing they were upset about was that he ate with sinners. So I just ask, how are you doing with that? Like, do you eat with sinners? How often do you, you share meals or coffee or other social time with sinners? And by sinners, I don't mean sinners in the sense that like everyone's a sinner, so every time you eat with anyone, you're eating with sinners. I mean, like, how often are you, are you eating with those that are outside of the religious mainstream? How often do you eat with non-Christian, people who reject, maybe even are hostile to Jesus? How often do you eat with those that maybe even the church has historically shunned? If we're going to be a church that takes seriously our desire to reach people with the gospel... We can't just expect people to come to us. We can't rely solely on like, having the right programs at the church or having an attractive enough atmosphere or having dynamic enough preaching. Definitely not that one. Right? Like, 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 we do things that are great. Like this past week we had the Fun Club Carnival and there were kids from the community who like, would not normally come to church who are here and experiencing church, and that's great, and I love that we do those things. That's a great first step. But if we don't follow that up with all of us being engaged and active in our community of eating with people who wouldn't come to our church on their own, spending time with our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers, then we can have those kind of events and programs, but they're not going to be effective. If we're going to reach people with the gospel, it's not going to happen mostly by them coming to us. It's going to happen by us going to them. By eating with them. Spending time with them. Building friendships with them. And telling them about what Jesus has done in your life. That's the commission that Jesus gives us here in this passage. The commission, the task that Jesus has given to all those that He has saved and sought. God just encourage us at the church. Let's be about that task of reaching by going, by seeking those who Jesus calls us to seek. Let's pray. Father, we praise you, we thank you for sending Jesus to seek after us. 
when we were wandering, when we were going astray, when we wanted nothing to do with You. Jesus came and He sought us and He saved us. And we praise You for that. We can't grasp, can't fathom what we would be of such great worth to You. And we praise You that You love us that much. That You love us enough to send Your Son to die for us. Father, I just pray that we would, we would never take that love for granted. That we would never stop being amazed by how deeply You value us. Father, would we praise You, worship You, and glorify You for all that You've done to take away Your wrath against our sin by placing it on Jesus and giving us the incomparable riches of Your grace. Would that continually astound us no matter how many times we hear it? And as we are amazed by Your grace to us, Would it motivate us? Would it compel us to want nothing more than to share that grace with others? To be a part of the work you're doing in seeking and saving people and bringing them to yourself? Would we go and would we tell our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and our families about the great things you have done for us. And we invite them to place their faith in Jesus. God, would you transform us, draw us closer, closer to yourself, conform us more and more to the image of your Son day by day. We go from here, glorifying you for all that you've done for us. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you go, that is my hope, my prayer for you, that you would go rejoicing, go amazed by the great love that God has for you, by the great value you have in God's eyes, that He would send His Son to seek and save you. You are dismissed.